0: Thank you Jim. Good morning to everyone. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'd like to especially welcome uh, all of these beautiful wedding guests. What an amazing wedding uh, last uh, yesterday afternoon and such a great presentation of the gospel. I mean it just, was just a wonderful time. So God bless the Shepherd family and all of you that are here with them. Father, we pray that you'll continue uh, to be with us uh, through the remaining minutes of the service. I pray that uh, you'll uh, even direct me in uh, what I say and what I don't say, what I'll leave out. I pray that you'll be the divine editor this morning, and I pray the word of God will become alive to us, perhaps in a way that, uh, at least in some passages, we haven't considered previously, And we pray, Lord, that because of that, we will more effectively uh, continue to run the race before us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Bill already read the uh, passage of the day, but I want to uh, read it in an entirety. And uh, this is the way Matthew records the morning. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thus began the greatest week in the history of the entire world. I'd like for us to look back over our shoulders to review the redemptive plan of God this morning as to what led to this moment. I believe it was in the heart of Father God to, uh, before the creation of the world, before the beginning of time, to bring the uh, redemption of mankind uh, to be culminated on Holy Week in Jerusalem. I believe the history of the world is really his story as we prepare our hearts for Holy Week, allow me to read actually some extended passages from the Old Testament, prophetic passages pointing uh, to Jesus, the Savior of the world, the signs of his coming. Crypt- scripture has been pointing to this week from uh, Moses forward. In fact, Moses in Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offering... Uh, sorry, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God promises here that Christ would be born of a woman, that Satan would uh, crush, as it were, his foot, at, uh, or strike his foot in the crucifixion, yet Christ would completely destroy Satan, sin and death for the sake of the salvation Of all mankind. Genesis 22, 1 through 10, we read the account of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. I'll pick it up in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father! Yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. The ultimate fulfillment of Abraham's statement is God providing his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for the redemption of mankind. Our heavenly father himself did what he asked Abraham to do. And I'd like for us to, uh, for just a moment, consider the Passover passage from Exodus 12. So significant because Jesus, shortly after he uh, entered Jerusalem on that day, would celebrate uh, the, the, the Feast of the, the Unleavened Bread on Passover in the upper room with his disciples. Exodus 12, 1 tells us of uh, the uh, first Passover, and I'll pick it up in Exodus 12:5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep, of, sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Verse 12, on the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses that you are, where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival of of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And then verse 21, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over the doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house, houses and strike you down. For Christians, the Passover, and these are comments from my study Bible Um, the Passover contains rich prophetic symbolism that points forward to Jesus Christ. The heart and soul of the Passover event was God's saving grace. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, not because they were such a worthy people, but because he loved them and because he was faithful to his covenant. Similarly, the salvation we receive from Christ comes to us through God's amazing grace. We sang about his amazing grace this morning, for it is by grace you have been saved, and that, through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The purpose of the blood applied on the door frames was to save the firstborn son of each family from death. This blood points to Christ shedding of blood on the cross in order to save us from death, and from God's wrath against sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The Passover lamb was a sacrifice that functioned as a substitute for the firstborn. This sacrifice points to Christ's death as a substitution for the believer's death. Romans 3.23 and 4, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the de- redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. And Paul explicitly calls Christ the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us in 1 Corinthians 5:7. The male lamb marked for death had to be without defect. The lamb prefigures the sinlessness of Christ, the perfect Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The eating of the lamb represented the identification of the Israelite community with the lamb's death, a death that saved them from physical death. Similarly, taking the Lord's Supper represents our participation in Christ's death, a death that saves us from spiritual death. As in the case of the Passover, only the initial sacrifice, his death on the cross, was an effective sacrifice. We observe, and again this morning, observe the Lord's Supper as a memorial in remembrance of him. Sprinkling of the blood on the door frames was done in obedient faith. This response of faith brought about redemption, through the blood, and salvation through Christ's blood is obtained through the obedience that comes from faith. Jesus knew what awaited him, even as those crowds cheered and shouted, Hosanna. Luke's account talked about how he wept. Jesus only wept three times, the, the scriptures record, but he wept that day because they did not know who was coming into Jerusalem that day Psalm 22 foretold of what would happen on that day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem 22:1 My God my God why have you forsaken me these were the words of course that Jesus uttered on the cross Psalm 22:7 all who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads these are the thoughts that Jesus is having as to what will happen during that holy week in Jerusalem. Psalm 22:8. 8, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him, the words of those who mocked Jesus on the cross. Now here, the anguish of Jesus as he was flogged and crucified again from Psalm 22, do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men as encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Jesus knew this was coming later that week. Isaiah 53, that great passage. First, the suffering servant. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up And highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what they were told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand prophetically, words of what jesus would do his ministry through his followers to the nations of the world they would experience the cleansing of the blood and come to faith in christ let me read from isaiah 53 for just a few verses here before we move to the new testament who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed he grew up before him like a tender shoot And like a root out of dry ground, he had no majesty to to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silence, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus knew what was coming in Jerusalem. He prepared his disciples uh, for what that week would be like. Matthew 16, 21, we read, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. He added, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life from me will find it. And then in Matthew 20, 18 to 20, now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples with him. We are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And Jesus, uh, anticipating the crucifixion later that week, said, the hour has come for uh, for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus knew, always knew, that he was the only man born to die, that we might live, that we might have eternal life, that we might be forgiven of our sins. Recognizing God's amazing grace poured out on us, how then should we live? We who have been forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, made righteous because of the blood of Christ. Let me suggest just three brief applications this morning. We should continue to live in an attitude, with an attitude of deep gratitude and thanksgiving. Especially during this Holy Week, we can rewrite our thanksgiving list and add to it. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Bible commands us to give thanks in the midst of everything. The shorter Westminster catechism begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer follows, the chief end of man is to glorify God (laughs) and to enjoy him forever. And I believe glorifying God begins with a heart of thanksgiving by continuing to thank him for all that he has provided for us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Terry Law, who's impacted my life in a big way, and that we've worked for 45 years together, has been preaching a message on the manifold grace of God. He uses his uh, as a beginning text, Luke 2:52. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. An alternative reading would be Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and grace with God and men. In the New Testament, the words grace, favor, and thanksgiving are very closely connected. When we talk about uh, a definition of grace, we say the unmerited favor of God. Quoting Terry again... uh, uh, Terry says, an amazing fact in the Koine Greek of the New Testament is uh, to have grace meant to say thank you. In other words, you cannot have grace without being thankful. They are totally linked in the Greek New Testament. This has come down to us in the Romance languages. In French, when we, when we say thanks be to God, we say gross adieu. You can hear the word grace in there. In Italian... It is grazie, again the word grace in Spanish gracias. Terry correctly observes that if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to grow in grace, how much more do we need to grow in grace? James four sixteen uh, say, sorry James four six says, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scriptures say God opposes the proud, but gives grace. To the humble. I believe the first way we show our humility to God is by giving thanks. Someone who has received and is receiving abundant grace will always be thankful to the Lord. Paul's prayers for the churches invariably began with thanks. In Romans 1.8, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. In Ephesians 1.16, he wrote, I do not cease to give thanks for you. In Philippians 1.3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. In Colossians, he wrote, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he told his spiritual son, that he thanked God and prayed for him without ceasing night and day. Quoting one more time from Terry in his book, The Power of Praise and Worship, he uh, makes the point that Jesus constantly gave thanks. In John chapter six, we all remember the account so well of the miraculous feeding of the multitude with just a little boy's lunch. Jesus did not pray for that miracle. He simply gave thanks to the Father and started breaking bread. His thanksgiving led to an immediate miracle that provided enough food to feed at least 5,000 people. So I believe that as we give thanks and continue to give thanks for all the things God has given us, even our faith will continue to grow for those things that we're still believing for. And as Jim prayed this morning that we continue to believe God will, will bring uh, to fruition in the days to come. Luke 45 five two, talking about Jesus says, you are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace. When we are experiencing the grace of God, our lips are affected. We see God's beauty every morning, We see and speak of the good things God is doing in the lives uh, of our family, our wife, our children, our grandchildren. We continue to uh, see what the Lord is doing, even in the midst of very challenging moments. We, We know in our spirits that he that hath begun a good work will continue to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We speak encouragement. We say, you can do that. You did so well there. Solomon, you're already writing and you're only five years old. I mean, we just, we, just, we just speak words of grace that encourage, that establish these young ones that we're encouraging and those that we're mentoring, those that we're, we're counseling with. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to be peace, uh, to, to peace and be thankful Colossians 4.6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. A second way that we can show humility toward God is by living with an attitude of forgiveness. We who have been forgiven everything need to continue to forgive those who intentionally or unintentionally hurt us. Some of us have visited uh, the Art of Forgiveness at First Presbyterian Church over these past weeks. In fact, I think it's still there, this exhibit of about 30 paintings for another week. An amazing, amazing collection around the story of the prodigal son. The father in that story was always looking down the road for his son to return he had forgiven him before the son ever left the pigsty in that foreign land that is the heart of forgiveness the attitude of forgiveness ephesians 4 29 do not let any unwholesome talk talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus on the cross, you remember his words, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Colossians 3 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Just, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a wonderful missions conference, and Mustafa Omar was our speaker on our last weekend. He did a great job. One story that he told that just gripped my heart, in that I've been there and I've seen much of I I don't want to overstate it, I've seen some of the the horrible suffering of the Syrians and the Iraqi peoples, but he told the story of a bus that left um, Mosul on its way to Erbil with Christians uh, riding in that bus, hoping to get to a place of safety, and the bus was uh, stopped along the way by an ISIS soldier, a young man, probably in his early 20s, And to show his brutality, he grabs a two-year-old child out of the hands of a grandfather and executes that child, you remember the story, in front of that entire bus. And then later, when the grandfather was asked about that incident, he said, it's okay, I've forgiven him, I pray for that young man. I mean, that's, that's, that's an amazing story. But that is the attitude of forgiveness. I believe grace is coming to that family, healing, and a way forward. Forgiveness is not an emotion, it is a decision. Some of you probably heard Corey Tim Boom, a minister here at TCF in the early days. Did anybody hear Corey Tim Boom? Uh, Okay, so there was was many of us who heard her, and you'll remember her story. She grew up uh, in Holland during World War II. Her father was compassionate toward minorities, especially toward Jews, and he built a hiding place uh, in their home, and during uh, that two to three year period, they they kept about nine Jews in that hiding place. and Cory and her sister Betsy and the family ministered to those Jewish uh, refugees uh, running for their lives, as it were. But one of uh, their friends uh, betrayed them, and so Corey and the Jews and Betsy ended up in uh, a concentration camp. Robin's, uh, Robins Breit was the name of the camp. It was one of the worst camps that Hitler ever up for women. In fact, uh, Corey tells a story as as when they came in, they checked in, all the women had to strip naked. They gave their clothes to the SS guard who gazed at their nakedness as they showered in front of him. And so it was. It was a horrible, horrible existence. The war ended. The guard at the shower room uh, survived the war. Betsy died, Cory was released, and she wanted to help the German people and continued to uh, tell her Dutch friends and family and all she spoke to, that we must, we must forgive the Germans. That is what the Lord would want us to do. And in uh, her book, The Hiding Place, she tells this story. Let me read it to you. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man that had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Romansbrick. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had ever seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people of Holland that you need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I strained to raise my hand, hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth, of charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, The most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not in our forgiveness anymore. So I discovered that it is not in our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Jesus. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. I'd like to close with this one more thought. I read the uh, Triumphal Entry account in all of the Gospels, thought about it over a period of weeks, and one of the things that quickly caught my mind was, or my, my eye was, Jesus, when he came up from Jericho toward Jerusalem, he first went to uh, Bethpage and Bethany and uh, probably spent the first night or maybe two nights uh, in the home of Mary and Martha and uh, there with his closest friends and probably with some, if not all, of the disciples. And it's very likely that during the entire Holy Week, Jesus came back, to uh, Bethany and to spend the nights uh, at the home of Mary and Martha, he loved to spend time with his friends. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus is our best friend. He is your best friend, and he wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend special time with you. And I'd like to very much encourage you during this holy week that you will find time to be with your best friend, to uh, seek his face, to hear from him, to allow him to speak to you, to allow that sense of of thankfulness to to even increase. If there's any unforgiveness of any kind that you would deal with that, and you don't even have to deal with it in your strength. He'll give you the strength. Even like that grandfather on the dusty road between Erbil and Musul forgave that horrible, horrible action. Even like Koyten Boom was able to forgive her captor. He gives along with a command the love itself. And then I'd like to say this one final thing. If there's anybody here this morning, you've never really come to know Jesus as your friend. You've never fully surrendered your life. Uh, Perhaps some time ago, maybe years ago, you accepted Christ. You maybe used that phrase, and you thought that was all there was to it, and you've really... Have not known him as a friend. You've not known him as your Lord. You've not passionately embraced him. You've not walked with him every day. What better day than on Palm Sunday, the beginning of the greatest week of the entire year, the most important week of all of uh, human history, to embrace Jesus and to make him your very best friend. Father, pray that you will continue to speak to each of us. Help us to remember that, in fact, what happened on that road when the crowd shouted Hosanna, you knew about that before the beginning of time. It was in your heart to send a Paschal lamb to die, for the sins of the world that we might be forgiven that we might be cleansed that we might be healed that we might be made whole that we might be come agents of your grace to gossip the gospel to the ends of the world even as our missionaries are doing even today to those places where you are not yet known or worshipped so father i pray that uh, If there's anyone here this morning that has not invited Jesus to be Lord in his or her life, that today they'll make that decision. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but if you would like to come after uh, the end of the service to pray about anything or to commit your life to Christ, the elders will be around here. We'd love to pray with you as well.